Tonight, though, it's my uh, clear pleasure to be able to welcome you to the Geddes W. Hansen Lectureship. This lectureship was established in 2002 by the Association of Black Seminarians in honor of Dr. Geddes Whitney Hansen, the Charlotte W. Newcomb Professor of Congregational Ministry named Emeritus in 2009. Dr. Hansen touched the lives of more than 8,000 students over the course of his teaching career in the Practical Theology Department. He was an accomplished scholar whose work focused on religious groups as complex organizations and the pastoral leadership of these religious organizations. And he was the first African-American faculty member of Princeton Seminary. Dr. Hansen and his wife, Carrie, who is with us this evening, modeled a spirit of hospitality and a culture of belonging. They welcomed any member of the community who felt more excluded than others. To this day, these students and employees still refer to themselves as the Hansen Kids. The Hansen Lecture is designed to bring to our campus pastors, scholars, and others who serve the church, particularly but not exclusively from the African-American community. Tonight, we look forward to a lectureship from the Reverend Dr. Jacqueline Lewis. Dr. Lewis earned her Master's of Divinity degree from Princeton Theological Seminary in 1992, 30 years ago this year. She <laughs> was followed by a Master's of Philosophy and her PhD in Psychology and Religion from Drew University. While at Drew, she focused on gender and racial ethnic identity development. Dr. Lewis served as the pastor for two churches in Trenton, New Jersey. She joined the staff of Middle Collegiate Church in Manhattan in 2004. She was the first woman and the first person of color to serve as the senior minister of the congregation since its founding in 1628. During her tenure, Middle Church has grown from a 450-member congregation to a community of over 2,000 members in New York, 48 states, and 22 countries. Dr. Lewis is the author of several books. Her most recent work is Fierce Love, A Bold Path to Ferocious Courage and Rule-Breaking Kindness That Can Heal the World. This was published last year. She's also the creator of the MSNBC online show, Just Faith, and the PBS show, Faith and Justice. She's also the host of the Love.Period podcast and the co-host of The Four podcast. Dr. Lewis's lecture tonight is titled, In the Name of Jesus, Reclaiming and Reframing Christian. 
At the conclusion of her lecture, she will take time for questions. So, would you join me in a warm welcome to the return of one of the Hanson kids, the Reverend Dr. Jackie Lewis. This is my other mother. Come on, Patty. <laughs> Hi, darling. Hi, Elliot. Hi. Hey, everybody. I say, hey. How you doing? Lecture. Well, that just feels so serious. I want to start just by thanking President Barnes, the committee, whoever invited me to be here today. I'm so excited to see Carrie. So excited to see all of you. I am indeed one of the Hanson kids. The very first person I met on campus here was Guy Hanson, my pastor, J. Jerome Cooper from Philadelphia, brought me to Princeton to find out if this is where I should be a student. And um, I had on a hat. I like hats. I have on one now, but I don't think the people on the Zoom could see me or the online could see me. But I had on a hat and a blazer and some jeans because I was a corporate chick trying to blend in. That wasn't really blend in the bowl, but I was trying. And a guy took me around the campus and uh, made me feel at home. Like this was a thing a 30-year-old who had been fighting her call to ministry for about 20 years could do. He and Carrie indeed adopted all of us. We had great food, great love, great companionship in their care of a Carrie and Guy. And so thank you, Carrie, for making this a day I could come. And thank you all for coming out to be here to listen as we think about in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, reclaiming and reframing Christian. It's not so much a lecture as it is a, I don't know, homily with some friskiness. Let's call it a frisky, <laughs> let's call it a frisky homily. Okay, and then we'll try to have some Q&A at the end, but I'm gonna call it a frisky homily, all right? Which means I need your prayers. Let's pray. In our church at Middle Church, uh, that's our Middle Church singing glory. Uh, a couple, few Christmases ago, we often pray with our eyes open because we really do believe to love another person is to see the face of God. So with our eyes open, just look around the room a little bit and pray. God, it is, okay, it is, it is here in the faces of the ordinary, extraordinary people in the room that we find you, find our way to you, see a sumsan of what you're like. So God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight and be way-making, way-making toward love. Amen. A little scripture for the frisky homily that's a lecture <laughs> comes from Jeremiah, the message version. Uh, am I good with sound? Okay, you sure? All right, great. Um, hi, y'all who are online. This is uh, the message version of Jeremiah 23, 16 to 32. A message from God of the angel armies. Dun, dun, dun. That's what it says. <laughs> Don't listen to the sermons of the prophets. It's all hot air. Lies, lies, and more lies. They make it all up. 
Not a word they speak comes from me. They preach their everything's gonna turn out fine sermon to congregations with no taste for God. Their nothing bad will ever happen to you sermon to people who are set in their own ways. Have any of these prophets bothered to meet with me, the true God? Bothered to take in what I have to say, listen to, and then lived out my word? Look out, God's hurricane will be let loose. My hurricane blast is coming. Spinning the heads of the wicked like tops. God's raging anger won't let up until I've made a clean sweep. Completing the job I began. When the job's done, you'll see that it has been done well. I never sent these prophets, but they ran anyway. I never spoke to them, but they preached anyway. If they'd have bothered to sit down and meet with me, they'd have preached my message to my people. They've gotten them back on the right track. They'd have gotten them out of their evil ruts. Am I not a God near at hand? Am I not a God close by? Can anyone hide out in a corner where I can't see him? Am I not present everywhere, whether seen or unseen? I know what they're saying. These prophets who preach lies, using me as their text, saying, I had this dream. I had this dream. How long do I have to put up with this? Do these prophets give two cents about me? Can you see God? Do these prophets give two cents about me as they preach their lies and spew out their grandiose delusions? They swap dreams with one another, feed on each other's delusive dreams, trying to distract my people from me, just as their ancestors were distracted by that no God Baal. You prophets, who do nothing but dream. Go ahead and tell your silly dreams. But you prophets who have a message from me, tell it truthfully and faithfully. What does straw have in common with wheat? Nothing else is like God's decree. Isn't my message like fire? Isn't it like a sledgehammer busting a rock? I've had it with these prophets who get all their sermons secondhand from each other. <laughs> That's just a little eye contact. It's <laughs> nowhere on the same page. I've had it, I'm gonna repeat that. I've had it with these prophets who get all their sermons secondhand from each other. Yes, I've had it with them. They make up stuff and pretend that it's a real sermon. Oh yes. I've had it with the prophets who preach the lies they dream up, spreading them all over the country, ruining the lives of my people with their cheap and reckless lies. Oh, I just have to drink water. <laughs> this is the word of God. Woo. Make you want to take off your shoes and stuff. Amen. I told you, frisky sermon. Fred Craddock used to say, sometimes a scripture is so real, true, profound, you just read it and sit down. I don't think Carrie would like me just read it and sit down. I'm gonna try to say a little more. 
All of you exegetes know that Jeremiah is preaching this sermon uh, in the middle of the Babylonian exile after Babylon's been sacked, excuse me, after Babylon has sacked the city of Jerusalem. They forced the Israelites to leave their homeland, forced into service in the capital city of Babylon where they are wandering and wondering. You know, not so much where is God, but who are they? Right? Who are we now? Who are we now post-temple? Who are we in this exile? Who are we when we can't worship the way we used to? Who are we when we're being asked to sing a song in King Alpha's land? Who are we? These existential questions made them wonder, like, what was next? And it was unclear uh, when exactly Jeremiah's testimony is recorded, but it seems like it maybe was within 70 years of captivity. So 70 years is like, two generations in those days, just enough to make you lose your mind, lose yourself, who are we? Did we used to, how, how did we do the Sabbath? What was the, do you remember who lit the candles? What did we say? Like just enough amnesia, enough forgetfulness to not exactly feel anchored, right? In their story, in their origin story. Oh Lord, I'm allergic, sorry. <coughs> So this is trauma, and this is forgetfulness, and this is not feeling oriented or stuck. You don't have stickiness in who you are and whose you are. So in the middle of this trauma, this forced migration, coupled with the uncertainty of who they are and whose they are and what does the future hold, Jeremiah and the other prophets of that time are trying to help the people make meaning of this calamity. And I'm sorry, human beings then and now like to feel in control, right? So it isn't really what happened, it's did we do it? So these theologies of cause, like maybe God's mad, maybe we weren't faithful, maybe we sinned too much, and that's why God has caused this trauma to happen to us. And even though you wanna shake your fist at God, it kind of makes you feel a little bit powerful to think your unfaithfulness led to this calamity, right? So all of this suffering, it's like God did it, God did it, God did it, and we're worms, you feel me? We, we like that feeling sometimes, even now. So I don't like that kind of theology, let's just get that straight. I don't like it and I don't believe it, but I understand it. I understand human beings across time, we're wrestling with God, our relationship with God, and that sense of God punishing us like a mean parent, just kind of sits in the middle of much of the church work we do, amen? So here they are, here they are. And it's like, isn't my word like fire, De decrees God? I'm thinking, were you, were you drinking wine when you thought God was saying that? I'm not sure, but, but that's what they did with that, right? That's what they did with it. Like, isn't, it, isn't my word like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces? This God who's like gonna get you if you don't do it well and if you don't do it right. I think our minds go there today, right? Did, what did we do to cause God to leave us? And a whole nother time, have me back. Well, you're not gonna be here. A whole nother time, have me back to just talk about this theodicy situation. Today, this text feels like it's got a couple of different messages. Yes, that fire, hammer-breaking rock, but also it feels like Jeremiah is pointing toward the possibility that there's another meaning here. That it isn't God, it's the priests. 
that special. It isn't God. It's the prophets. It's the prophets, the priests, who haven't taught the people well. And that's why they've gone astray. We could just sit with that for a minute. Okay, so Jeremiah wants us to imagine that this horror that's unfolding isn't so much what the people did, but it's the way the interpreters interpret it. I like that question. I like that question. They think the dreams they tell one another will make my people forget my name. They think the dreams, they, t they think the lies they tell each other will make my people forget my name. The lies they tell each other will cause the people to think I'm the cause of the calamity. Hmm. The lies they tell will put in the minds of the people stories about being replaced, stories about the world going to hell because so-and-so is in political power. The lies the preachers, prophets, priests, interpreters tell cause my people to turn their back on me because they think I've turned my back on them. This is closer to the truth, I think. God, the God that Jeremiah is pointing to, doesn't want anyone to suffer, doesn't want the people's pain and trauma to feel caused by God. That's not what's happening here. But the people who are doing the interpretation are wanting the people, the sheep, with not a strong shepherd to feel led astray, to be led to a certain conclusion, which isn't about God at all, but is about something else, making the people forget the nature of God, the origin story of God. Can you hear God kind of with her hands on her hips? Listen, y'all, don't you remember that I created you out of love? Don't you know that I think you're fabulous? Didn't I tell you you were very good? Didn't I tell you you were awesomely and wonderfully created in my name? What y'all think is going on? I like paraphrasing God. <laughs> didn't God, did, didn't I rescue you from bondage? Didn't you cry and I heard your cries and sent Moses in there to deliver you? Didn't you complain in the wilderness for God's sake? And didn't I give you a menu of quail and that flaky stuff? <laughs> what? Didn't the water come out the rock? Have I now abandoned you? Lies that caused the people to forget who God is and what God's like and what fierce love feels like to be held in the bosom of God, to be hidden in the rock by God to have God come down from the mountain to kick it with you when you're in the wilderness, to lead you across the wilderness in a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire to show up when you need God. These liars, these prophets, priests, interpreters, come on in, y'all. It's not Broadway, come on. <laughs> these prophets, these priests, these interpreters, causing the people to turn their back on God, causing the people to create a God 
to create a God, perhaps in their own image. To project onto God the largest weaknesses of their humanities. Smallness, pettiness, bitterness, anger, stank, that's my verb, <laughs> ness. Little-heartedness, little puniness, punitiveness. That kind of God that would inspire you to carry crosses to the capital. And in the name of Jesus, enact not a protest, but a violent insurrection in which lives were lost. The kind of puny, stank little, mean, withholding small g God that would cause you to spew anti-Semitic rhetoric in the name of Jesus. The kind of little silly, help me, I'm melting God that would cause you to enact an anti-black, anti-women, anti-indigenous, anti-immigrant agenda as though God, the real God that we love and serve would only make a few of us in his image because that good would be a, that God would be a he. The lie that espouses God's preferential treatment, not for the poor, not for the marginalized, not for the outsider, Good God, not for the Palestinian Jewish black man named Jesus. No, the lie that it was spouse that God has a preferential feeling for rich, white, powerful, masculine, straight, corporate, capitalist, so-called Christian people. As though the rest of our lives don't matter. I told you it was going to be frisky. The lie that would have us believe that the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Sarah, Hagar, Miriam, and all those Marys at the cross, the God who we believe came all the way down in itty-bitty Afro-Semitic baby flesh, born in a stable, diapered among the cows, breastfeeding in the funk of a barn, refugee baby who grows up to be a handyman like his daddy, preaching around Nazareth. That God is on the side of the privilege? That's just a, that's just a lie. <laughs> just, not true. As my friend Ben says, if Satan is indeed the father of lies, well, daddy's been busy. Just take a look. Just look around. Look around. I've never had an abortion. But I cannot believe the Supreme Court thinks it has the damn right to tell women what to do with their bodies. And I can't believe we think they do, some of us. I cannot believe in a many gendered, multiple sexuality, many religion nation, as pluralistic as ours, we think Christian should have anything to do with a Jewish woman's right to do with what she wants to do with her body. Especially since the Hebrew scriptures tell a woman when to have an abortion, not if, when to have an abortion. Who do we think we are? I cannot believe we think babies should carry babies. 
I cannot believe, we think, an unformed fetus that wouldn't live needs to stay inside a mother's body and putrefy. Lord have mercy, because Anita Bryant told us to drink orange juice and abortions were bad. Look it up. I cannot believe that the fascists would rather create baby drop boxes than to just let a woman do what she's going to do with her own man, with her own people. I can't believe that. I cannot believe yet, I can't believe yet, that somehow the chosenness narrative, are you all stay with me? The chosenness narrative, right? God chose us. We're chosen. And we know we're chosen. I'm going to pick fun at this. We know we're chosen because lots of people have beat us up and killed us, but yet we're still here. So we're chosen. The chosenness narrative that I'm not, this is like a real story to me. We're going to go to Canaan and take the land because it's ours, right? But we're going to kill the people there. With me? And then the European people, onward Christian soldiers, become Christian. And the empireness of Christianity makes those European Christians think they should go take the land and kill the people. Everybody with me still? I cannot believe we think, we, not me, not me, but I can't believe it was thought by my ecclesiastical ancestors, Dutch Reformed people, that you are entitled because of papal bulls to take yourself across the ocean, find the heathens, discover the land, take the land, make it your own, kill them off, get some black people off the shores of Africa, build the nation on stolen land built by stolen bodies in the name of Jesus. That's our story, dudes. That's our origin story. We got hymns about it. We got prayers about it. We got shrines about it. We got statues to show you this happened and flags. Lies by the prophets and the priests and the interpreters. Lies. Lies after lies about God, lies that serve the patriarchy, lies that serve white supremacy, lies that make people forget who God is and what God wants from us. And we do it, and we're so nice about it. The church is so nice about it. We've got lilies, and we've got, you know, stewardship programs, and we've got poinsettias coming, and we've got Christmas pageants, Little white babies in the crib and the thing. Have you been to Israel? <laughs> Little white shiny babies with the halos. Oh, Jesus looking like a hippie. Come on. How long will these lies continue in the hearts? of the prophets. <coughs> You're in charge. You're in charge of the church that's emerging, y'all. We're in charge in institutions like this. We're in charge in our congregations. We're in charge in the media to change the story, to reframe and reclaim Christian, to get back to the religion of Yeshua and Joseph. Mary's baby, Joseph Child, Jewish man, preaching in the wilderness. We have got 
to stop putting up with the fake religion that we're calling Christian that actually is something else like white nationalist, white supremacy masqueraded, tying up in a bow, coming to you on Sunday morning from big churches in Texas, et cetera. Is this what we want? Do we want to be the church that crushes Islamic, Muslim, Buddhist, non-Christian people? Do we want to be the church that tortured Muslims when they didn't believe? Do we want to be the church that killed the Jews for killing the Jew? Do we want to be the church that made the Holocaust happen? Do we want to be the church that exported white supremacy to South Africa? Do we want to be the church that made theologies of apartheid there and here? Do we want to be the church that made Jim Crow happen, killed Emmett Till, beat Fannie Lou Hamer and Mr. Johnson across the street? Do we want to be the church that justifies the shooting of black and white, black, black children and white activists? Do we want to be the church that believes that race is something designed by God? Do we want to be the church that doesn't imagine that God speaks more than one language? That God is big enough, bad enough, bold enough, brave enough, loving enough to make a tent for all of us? Don't we want to be the church that loves the hell out of the world? Don't we want to be the true church the true church, the true church that is the church wherever love is, don't we want to really lean into God is love and everywhere love is God is? Don't we want to be the tabernacle of love in which God resides and presides over the world? Don't we want every child growing up in the world to know that their body is holy and sacred and that love lives in them just because they love and they're beautiful and they represent God? Don't we want the women to speak, speak, speak in church? Don't we want to shake hands and build alliances across faith? Don't we think God even loves the atheists? Because really, was there a thing called religion when God was making us? Don't we want our creed to be God is love? Don't we want our confession to be God is love? Don't we want our marching orders to be God is love? Don't we want love? to be the way and the truth and the life. I do. I'm tired. I'm tired of the social media rants. I'm tired of feeling under threat as a female black person in the world. I'm tired of my queer siblings still, still, still having to prove that they belong to God. I'm so damn tired. I'm so tired of Kanye West. What the hell? Grabbing the mic and being anti-Semitic and anti-black. And I'm also tired of the outrage at the anti-Semitism, but not the outrage of the anti-black, just to keep it real. I'm tired. I don't want to have oppression Olympics, but I want us to love all the people and to value the human lives. And if we say believe in God, if we believe in God, 
If we believe in God and God created us, then doggone it, everybody in the image of God, awesomely and wonderfully made. Do we get to pick? And wouldn't we rather err on the side of love? I want us to take it back. I want us to take back the word Christian to mean following Jesus along the way. I want us to take back religion, meaning binding our hearts together in love. I want us to be outraged at the lies by the so-called prophets and priests of the empire masquerading as the religion of that humble dude from Palestine. Come on, I also want us to be able to say he's from Palestine, okay? Come on, you know, all of these are the things that I'm tired of. Let's be uh, complex in our analysis and simple in our love. Let's be complex in our exegesis and simple in our love. Let us be imaginative in our preaching, frisky in our preaching, demand truth in our preaching and our writing, and simple in our love. We can't afford to pay allegiance to what the church has become. I can't afford it and you can't either. We are going to hell in a handbasket because we won't claim love and we won't come to it with moral courage and rule-breaking kindness and frisky preaching that demands something else. So your children and mine live and flourish in the world of peace that our God desires for us and for them. So, in conclusion, <laughs> in conclusion, in conclusion, this part I'll read. <laughs> this is in my little book. <laughs> I want us to get to love. I want us to make love everywhere. I want love to be our guide, love to be our God, love to be our public ethic. I want you to believe assiduously, to have faith in love, because the root word for religion is the Latin word religare, meaning to bind together, to tie each other. I want you to tie each other up in velvet cords of love. <laughs> I really do. Yes, Wesley, I knew that would make you laugh. <laughs> I want us to exercise a spiritual imagination of love that frees us from fear and frees us to radical acts of connectivity and creativity and world-altering kindness and new ways to be human. I want us to delight in the freaky, weird, strange, chocolatey black particularity of each other, the shorn hair, the beautiful power of Diwali. I want us to get jiggy with the beautiful ways God has made all of us and wants us all to find our way to love. That's what I want. That's what I need. Are you ready? Yeah. Let's do this. End of lecture. Yeah.